Morning, church. Y'all sounded awesome this morning. Yes, feels so good. It's good, good, good. You should probably just pray and go home. But I want to talk to you about money. <laughs> Welcome back if this is your first time in a, in a little bit. But yeah, put your wallets away. Hide your... Per- no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'll let you and God work that out. <clears throat> but who doesn't want a little bit more money? Now, obviously, y'all don't want a little bit more, more money because last week I had $20 cash on the stage expecting this herd of people coming to get the money. And it was only Lisa that got the money. So, but, but we all want a little bit more, right? It would help out the budget, save up for vacation for this summer. We, we all could use something else fixed up at the house, uh, something, right? Uh, and who doesn't want to be rich and, and be enough well off for retirement, uh, whatever that looks like. And, you know, they say it's better to be, to be poor and happy than rich and miserable, right? But isn't there some middle ground? Like, give me a little bit more wealth and just a little uncomfortable, somewhere in the middle. Um, but, but we need finances. We need money. And money may not be, buy us happiness. But I'd rather be crying in a Cadillac than a bus, right? And if money talks, you know what it says to me? This is reality. Goodbye. Every time. Every time. Um, But we are continuing in James, and we're going to go to chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And we are going to be talking about what our wealth looks like, what our money, our our resources, our possessions that we have... According to God's plan, not our plan. All throughout chapter 4, we've looked at being humble with God in our judgment to others, humble in our sin, being humble in following the wisdom of God versus uh, the earthly wisdom. So there's this humble stance. There's this going to God to say, God, I give you all of myself. This is part of our faith. And this includes everything, including our money. So let me read to you James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Today is true faith and money. What does our faith look like when we get it involved with our finances, our possessions, the things that we have? So reading from chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, we've talked about James stepping on our toes. He's just bashing them in now. Um, and looking in this passage, James is, is all in. And there is no, hey, this is what we need to do in our faith. This is what God wants us to do. He's just flat out going after those those rich Businessmen, the rich people in culture of that time, and just saying you're going to be miserable. Um, you're going to you're going to have to give account to God, and it, you're not going to like it. And all the things that you have are worth nothing. 
So humbling ourselves before God and our wealth, and it's our way versus God's way. And we do need money. We need to pay the bills, all of that, but but wealth and money is like fire. Uh, Fire is amazing for safety, for warmth, for cooking. There's use for it. We need it. It's necessary, but it can also be destructive. Uh, And James is warning us that, that wealth will end up leading us to destruction if we are not applying God's will in our finances. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. And the Bible has many warnings about wealth, about our money, about finances. Uh, So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we will go back there near the end of the sermon. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Gives us another very clear picture of what money will do and and going after it in our greed so verse 9 says but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs so it's the love of money. It's our attitude towards finances. It's the greed that seeps in. Scripture never says you can't have money. Scripture says you can't be wealthy. But it's our attitude. It's what we do with it. And it is how we think about our finances. And, you know, it'd be nice to say, well, God, give me a little bit. Like, I'm sure I could handle a little bit more. Right? But then we, we kind of, it's a slippery slope. Uh, so James is warning us. And why these verses? He sounds like some Old Testament prophet uh, that is giving, you know, the coming days of what happens if you're going after greed and wealth. <clears throat> and the words in our text don't have anything about repentance, don't have that aspect of what we need to do. What does God want us to do? And he does this. These passages kind of tend to focus on those outside the church. Because all through James, you see the phrase that he'll use, brethren, uh, speaking to those as brothers and sisters in Christ. And and here's what we need to do in the church. In these six verses, he doesn't reference brethren. And the back in verse or chapter one, verses nine through eleven, he he mentions those who are rich, talking about the rich man will fade away in his pursuits. James brought this group up in chapter two, verse six. Saying the rich ones who drag you into court, those are the ones taking, uh, the Christians and, and other people to court, uh, to get more money out of them. But what are the chances that James wrote chapter five, verses one through six? If it's for those outside the church, what are the odds of them actually hearing these verses, right? It's not like he was invited to the latest business conference for all the business leaders in the area to give them this spiel. It's not like he had his YouTube channel for his TED talk on what happens if you become wealthy and greedy. So I think there's some elements of these verses that do apply to us, that they're here for a reason. Uh, So let's work through these verses. And there are three areas of sin, of wealth, uh, that these verses cover. One is in hoarding. One is stealing. And one is decadence, uh, just living a life of luxury. So verse 1, 
he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming for you. So he just starts out, nothing's going to come good out of the wealth that you have. And those words, weep and howl, you know, you can weep quietly. You can weep kind of inside. But howl, that Greek word is literally out loud, howling in misery, the misery that's going to come. And James is warning us uh, to be careful of that. So hoarding, and hoarding is is kind of holding on to a lot of things that you don't really need. Uh, we taught last week about God's plan and his plan for our life. And, and part of that is finances. We do need to save. We need to be ready for retirement. We need to be able to take care of our family. That's a good part of saving money, making sure our finances are in place. But hoarding is the excessive acquisition of possessions and the failure to use or discard them. Um, the excessive acquisition of possessions. Do I even have to talk about gas? All right. Did you guys see the grocery bags? The gas? No, it's ridiculous. But but that's what we, people were hoarding. You know, did, did they really need it? You know, they have a mile commute, but they were having to top off all their cars. Uh, and so... It, it's that picture of hoarding. It's a picture of holding on to all these things that are not going to be worth anything. And in our sign, our times, the things that are, that show wealth are the cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the homes that we buy, the way that we go on vacation, whatever shows some kind of level of, of wealth. In James' time, there were three pieces or three parts that really showed wealth. And one was grain. And remember last week we talked about the farmer who had such amazing produce and his fields kept producing so much that he tore down the old barns, built the bigger ones so he could hold more. James is like, it's going to rot. It's going to, it's going to be worth nothing. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but we have a pantry in the kitchen and, and cans of food kind of just keep getting pushed to the back as we don't use them. I try to stay on top of that if you know me. Like if it is the day of expiration, if I don't use it that day, it's gone. Um, but we're talking like I found stuff from five or six years ago. Uh, so it's it, when we kind of hoard things, it's they're not going to be worth, they're not going to last that long. And James is like, the grain is going to rot. Your clothing is going to be moth-eaten. It's not going to be worth anything. The gold and silver... Uh, now, gold and silver can get kind of rusty and, get, and get, get kind of worn down. The value may not necessarily go down with it. You could burn it down and, and remold the, the, for gold coins or whatever. But here's a picture of wearing and using your gold and silver so much that it, it kind of gets corroded. And have you ever gotten cut with a rusty piece of metal? You know, it kind of messes your skin up if, if, if it not cuts through. And that's that picture that I have when James says that the met, the gold and silver is so corroded that it will eat your flesh like fire. It's not worth it uh, to have so much. And I sit there thinking, well, I don't hoard that much. I mean, I've got extra stuff at the house uh, that I don't really need. Uh, but then I looked up what the shoe market is doing. How many of you have an extra pair of shoes or two or three or 10 or 20, right? I mean, I'm I'm guilty of that. There's things that I, shoes I buy now, I have kind of a cycle of my shoes. All right, I'll get a brand new pair of shoes, 
And I try not to wear them unless I'm actually out. I'll come home, take them off, keep them protected because that first scuff, they're done. Like, I can't wipe that out. You know, time for a new pair. And then, and then that'll become my daily, you know, kind of running around shoes. And then if I get another pair and the next pair goes down, then the, the last one before the trash can are my lawn mowing shoes. Cause I don't like the green stains from mowing the grass. You know, we have a dog, step, never mind. Well, I already went there. Step and dog poop, whatever in the back, in the backyard. So my, so my shoes, but I have probably too many shoes. I know that. Did you know that in 2017, so four years ago, but 2017, the U.S. Uh, footwear market was worth in revenue $79 billion. So 2017. Three years later, 2020, it went from $79 billion to $365 billion. That's ridiculous. And you know why it's ridiculous? Because of us, right? We buy the extra shoes. But so there's elements of hoarding in our life. There's elements of things that, you know what, I don't really need this. Someone else might need it. I might be able to give it away. Uh, someone else could use this. And and just to kind of be aware of of hoarding. Because hoarding is either showing within our hearts a sin of greed. We want more and more and more. Or that we're not trusting God to provide. I need to store all this up. I need all of my toilet paper. I need all my gas. Because I don't trust what God's going to bring to the future. Uh, so, so there's an element for us to process. And then verse 4, James talks about stealing. Uh, God's not only concerned with what we've got and how much we have. But are we cheating other people and being as sneaky as possible to cut corners uh, for our wealth? And James is talking about these these men and people that were laborers in their land. They mowed the fields, and these rich people didn't pay them, or they waited. Uh, and in that time, it wasn't just paycheck to paycheck every two weeks or every month. You were getting paid daily. If you didn't get your daily pay, you probably weren't able to go and get bread or food for your family. And Scripture is very clear with that throughout, especially the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.13 talks about that the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. So if you have the money and they're done with their day, pay them. Don't wait till the next day. I have to tell you a funny uh, first service. Someone came to me and said, you know what? My kid did some lawn work for me. This person had to slide the $10 bill to their kid, their son while they were <laughs> listening to the sermon. Because it's true. If, if someone's worked for you, you pay them. Uh, in Deuteronomy 24, it says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who is in the, your land with your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets. And it says, For he is poor and counts on it. Uh, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. And James is saying these rich people were keeping back their funds, their money for those who deserved the work that they accomplished by fraud, which means they were robbing and cheating uh, these laborers for them. And these laborers didn't have the money to go sue the owner. And so now there's another area that they can't go to court 
and sue this, this boss that they, that owes them money because they already don't have money. Uh, and so it's a win-win for those who are wealthy. But I want us to sit there and think, and I felt convicted of, if someone does work for me, am I paying them their, their due wages? Am I paying them what they have accomplished in a timely fashion, pay our bills on time, make sure that things are being taken care of financially for those who have done work for us? And then I sat there thinking, and I thought back to some statistics, but when you go to a restaurant and it's time to tip, we better tip generously. Um, I've heard over and over these conventions where Christians, even pastors will go, the restaurant people are, are stressed out because they're not going to get tipped very well. That's pathetic. And I pray that when we go out, we, you might go out to lunch today, be generous. And I know people make mistakes, people have bad days, and the service is terrible. So what? They worked. Tip. And, and I'm guilty of that because I'll go, oh, didn't get my refill. You're down to 10%. You know? <laughs> Or they spill something, oh, no tip now. Um, but that's not, you know, some of it might be their fault. But but we need to be generous. Are we taking care of those who are taking care of us with our finances? And then James shows this picture of the, the laborers who can't go to court. They're frustrated. They call out to God. They call out to the Lord, and he hears them. And the true testament of that is God actually already knew before the laborers yelled out. Uh, God already knew what had happened with the rich person not paying those who worked for him. That's a reminder to all of us that God knows all that we do. God knows all of our thoughts. God knows our heart. Um, and we've got to continue to be diligent in all that he's given us and our possessions and our wealth to be generous to others. Uh, and so just a reminder that that some people don't have anywhere else to go. And that's an injustice. And I pray that we never add to any injustice in anyone's life. Uh, that God is going to bring justice. And that's where true justice comes from. But we have some responsibility to, to help avert or, or help get around an injustice that we possibly might have added to. Uh, and so here's this picture of the laborers crying out to God and God hears them. And James is like, the time's coming for the wealthy, for those who who are not or who are cheating and stealing from those who are working. And then verses 5 and 6 talks about decadence, talks about living this life of luxury, having so much wealth that they are already cheating the, the, the poor and distorting how they get their riches. And then they're just kicking back and living this life of luxury and self-indulgence. And James says, has this picture of they have fattened their hearts in the day of slaughter. He describes them as these ignorant cattle that are just getting fat and fatter and fatter. They just go on fattening themselves every day with no thought of others. And But judgment day is coming. The day of slaughter is coming. And there's going to be a time that they are going to have to pay for what they have done, for their sins, for all that they have have brought, like hoarded and and tried to keep for themselves. It's sin, and there's going to be payment for that sin. And condemned in murder, another picture of going to court. And the rich people were probably even bribing the judges. 
You know, they're getting out of all of this. And then murder. Is it taken literally or figuratively? It could have been either or. Um, greed can do some, some terrible things and is an evil sin that can cause the distortion of, of the thought processes of, of people to cause murder. Uh, and then figuratively, if you are causing someone not to be able to go purchase bread or food for their family, they're going to starve. Uh, there is going to be co- physical consequences to others because of your personal sin and wealth and greed. While we may never kill someone for the sake of our own financial gain, we've got to be careful to never hurt others for our own financial gain, no matter what that looks like, whether it's an extra two or three bucks on a tip, whether it's taking care of those who have done work for us, whether it's taking care of our bills and and whatever that looks like in your life. So James doesn't really give us, you know, well, what what's the best way that we can handle all of this? And so there's God's way. Turn back with me to 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Here's another picture of it's okay to have wealth. It's okay to have money, but use it for God's glory. Use it to serve others. Use it to help others out. Use it to to. Not only take care of your family, but the the community around you. Look for ways to serve others with the wealth and glorify God with what he's given you. And whether we trust in money of what we we see now or what we see in our future and our planning, or are we trusting God and what he's got planned? And it's a fine balance. Here are some questions I want to ask us to kind of evaluate where we are on, you know, Am I taking care of my wealth or am I relying too much on that? Have I not fully given it over to God's plan for my life? So one is, do I credit money for my happiness? Do, am I truly, do, I, do I get happier because I have more money? Do I desperately yearn for more money so life is easier? Do I hoard money out of fear for the future and a lack of stability? Do I exploit others or twist circumstances in an effort to get money? Do I spend my money on myself without giving any of it to those who who might need some? And do I resent others because they have more than me? Jealousy can be a vicious part with finances and and possessions. But we've got to trust God because ultimately it's all his anyway. If we have a faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior... We have given our lives, our possessions, all to him. And we've become stewards of what he's given us. Uh, And we have become stewards of our time and our possessions and our resources and finances to honor him and to glorify him uh, with all that we have, all that we do, all that we say. And let me conclude this time together by going to Matthew chapter 6. And I will read verses 19 to 24. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Because it is a heart matter. 
It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of, am I giving this to God? Am I pursuing his plan for my life? All of my life, including our finances, or am I trying to do and figure out some of this on my own? So Matthew six nineteen to 24 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then it goes on the next two verses talking about an eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And that applies to our finances. It, the things that if we are glorifying God, it's going to show in our attitude. It's going to show in our words, in our deeds. It's going to show in our bank accounts. And I've heard this before. You can tell what is important to a person by looking at their bank account. What are they throwing their money towards? That's where their heart is. And are we glorifying God with the things that we are using for our bank account for? Are we glorifying God if we were to go back through and truly see that that, that was for God's glory? Um, and just making sure that we are doing all things that we can to pursue the things of God with everything that we have. In verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. James has been clear as we close up this picture of you've got to be all in with God, or you've got to be all in with yourself or the things of the world, you can't have both. And that seems impossible. And we've talked about the impossibilities of that. But it's a process. It's the process of sanctification. It's a process of growing in our faith to be our eyes kept on Jesus and doing a little bit more and a little bit more. But ultimately, the things of God are what we are pursuing. And in our faith, in, the, in, in our pursuit, what God is already doing in our life with the, with the final time being in heaven. And that's our, that's the glory that we get to, to attain to and to have hope in. But he's given us a life now to live out in faith. And that includes every part of our life. And so as we close in prayer, help us to just think through that, that James is right. It's every part of who we are. Everything that we have is God's. And we need to continue to Be aware of that and make those shifts and make those choices to glorify him in all things. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for this reminder this morning that you really truly love us, uh, that you have made these plans for our life even before we were born. Father, that you knew what we were going to wear today. You knew where we were going to sit and worship. You know what we are going to end up doing the rest of the day. You have given us this life. And Father, I pray that in our lives that we glorify you in all of it. Father, we're going to fail. Please forgive us. Please continue to show us mercy and grace. But Father, help us on our pursuit of you. Help us to to join together hands in hand, hand in hand as a family, uh, as believers, not only in this church, but in Waldorf, in Charles County, in Maryland, and the world that we continue 
uh, to strive and to pursue you in all things. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, that wherever we go, uh, that we continue to seek after you uh, in 